Hello, this is Ian Harper welcoming you to Business of Weather podcast, produced in association with Intermet Digital, the online portal dedicated to extreme weather and climate change, flooding and poor air quality. In each episode, we'll investigate the increasing impact of extreme weather and climate change on business and society, and how weather technology and information services can address the growing challenges. The aim is to spotlight the opportunities for entrepreneurs, startups, and investors to develop the business potential of assisting weather affected enterprises. Money is without doubt a powerful influence on how companies respond to the challenges of climate change. According to the Global Investor Network, Divest Invest, at the end of May 2021, over 1,300 organisations and 58,000 individuals representing investments worth over $14 trillion had committed either to invest out of companies considered to contribute to climate change or to invest into companies offering climate solutions such as renewable energy, sustainable agriculture and water efficiency. The growing view of many investors, it seems, large and small, is that investments in companies considered to contribute to climate change are a bad risk. The good risks are those offering climate solutions. As a result, Investors are adopting an increasingly muscular approach to their dealings with environmentally damaging companies. Act quickly and meaningfully to reduce your climate impact or we will sell your shares. In this episode of Business of Weather, we speak to Suzanne Keane, Senior Portfolio Manager at the French fund management giant Amundi. Amundi has over 1.7 trillion euros of institutional and retail funds under management, making it one of the world's top 10 investment managers. Suzanne Keane, welcome to Business of Weather. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for having me on your on your programme. It's a delight to be here. <laughs> now, tell me about Amundi, Suzanne, the assets you've under management, how your clients and assets are split between institutional and retail investors. Sure. Well, you know, as you may know, Amundi is Ireland's largest, uh, Europe's largest asset manager, I should say. It's in the top 10 globally. It's got around 1.7 trillion assets under management. And our clients span, as you say, both retail and institutional. I think we've 100 million clients overall. And we've a complete range of savings and investment solutions, both in the active and in the passive space. Um, and I suppose when I look at Amundi at a global level, we've operations spanning 40 countries, um, but it's also one of the largest asset managers locally here in Ireland with about 350 staff. And Amundi has been present in the country for 22 years. I'm here for nearly 10 years myself. And Dublin is also the main hub for Amundi's equities business, which is the team that I work in. Um, and if I look at Amundi Ireland overall, it manages around 43 billion across different asset classes and strategies. And looking, looking beyond, sorry, if I could just say, Ian, on the, looking beyond the equities business um, at Amundi, we also have are growing in a number of different areas at Amundi in Ireland. We have launched a retail business for the Irish market last year, and there's 1 billion AUM there. And in doing that, we teamed up with Irish Life, which is Ireland's largest life assurance company, as your listeners know, I'm sure. Um, and we teamed up as their responsible investing partner. So in total, we have seven funds on Irish Life's platform, including two of our flag- flagship ES funds 
um, and um, uh, Dublin is also a key technology hub for the group alongside Paris um, and um, just to kind of give you a sense of how busy we are at, at Monday, we also have set been authorised recently as a super management company which Supermanco as they're known which can means that Amundi can act as a management company for third party fund managers in Ireland as well as launching our own Irish domiciled funds so as you can imagine it's a very busy and exciting place to be here. Well, that sets the scene nicely. Thank you. Now, let's just move on. Now, speaking generally, how does climate change impact investment management and portfolio planning? That's an increasingly topical issue. And the answer is that it has a large and growing impact on our investment decisions and the type of stocks that we consider to be good investments. So issues such as climate change and sustainability more broadly are at the heart of our investment decisions. And it's not just from a pure sustainability perspective, but also in terms of expected financial return. Um, So this makes complete sense from my view when you consider the wave of regulation, which is facing companies and incentivizing them to be more sustainable, you know, in their approach to energy, such as renewable energy over fossil fuels, and also to penalize the less sustainable companies. But we're also seeing that consumers more than ever are looking to brands that share their ESG values. And if companies disappoint on ESG uh, factors, whether it be damage to local environments for an energy company or poor working conditions for a clothing retail, it can really hurt the share price um, when it hits the headlines. Right. Tell me now, what do you believe is the number one risk to your clients posed by climate change? The impact of climate change is immense and it affects every part of our lives. So from a purely human perspective, we're all massively exposed to the risks from climate change in our daily lives. So whether that's the risk of flooding to our homes from extreme weather or the impact of air quality uh, from industrialization. And then obviously more recently, there's been the link between deforestation, for example, and disease transmission. So But when I look at climate change from an investor's point of view, there's clearly also massive potential to lose money from investing in companies that are not proactive in terms of moving to a more sustainable world. And I think of energy players that are continuing to invest in in fossil fuel based generation. um, And these may, may well turn out to be stranded assets down the road. Um, but I think it's important that, you know, we identify companies that are not not merely just doing the minimum uh, in terms of not causing a negative impact, but also are looking to do uh, to generate a net positive impact um, where possible, rather than just getting to net zero. And I think that will increasingly be, be what investors and consumers are focused on. So I look at companies that are taking positive moves, such as reforestation um, and proactive steps to encourage biodiversity or innovative farming practices, for example. So you've, you know, chemical companies that are um, producing uh, feed ingredients that reduce methane emissions from cows, for example, Um, and also innovative companies in the alternative energy space, such as green hydrogen or renewable diesel. So we're looking for companies that are a positive contributor, not merely reducing their negative impact. And I think another interesting point to kind of to mention is that, you know, we're all very mindful that, you know, the impact on climate is very much something that we felt more by the next generation, maybe more than ourselves. So I think this is something that Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of England, referred to as the tragedy of the horizon. So when it comes to climate change, you know, we need to align our time horizon as investors, um, which can often be too short. Um, to, so we need to align it to the generations that are coming behind us who will have to live on the planet long after we're gone. And I think COVID-19 has only um, exacerbated, um, increased this focus on um, sustainability and, um, you know, the market turmoil has really kind of, I think, accelerated people's focus on integrating ESG criteria into their investment process. um, And to really, I think it's really been a catalyst for growth for sustainable investing. 
Thanks for that. Now, I'd just like to pick up on this uh, issue of stranded assets, that is, assets which a company might have, such as oil reserves, which it cannot uh, extract or sell because of their impact on the climate. Now, are stranded assets a significant concern to a Monday in the coming years? Do you think there are elements of your portfolios which could potentially become stranded? Generally, you know, it can be difficult to predict where regulation is ultimately headed, but I do think it's better to be invested in companies that are on the right side of climate change. And certainly, I do think there's a significant risk of stranded assets for fossil fuel generation in the years ahead. And I can see that they will be likely left left behind as, you know, um, Grid investment is, is more focused on building out the infrastructure to support electrical vehicle charging, for example, and renewable generation rather than um, connecting fossil fuel assets. And also you've got the, you know, the likelihood of more interconnectors across Europe to, to hook up this renewable generation to make, to make sure that we have energy stability at all times of the day. Um, so I think fossil fuel um, g- uh, generation in general is very much at risk of being a stranded asset in the years ahead. Um, but when, when we consider ourselves as fund managers, we can make our predictions and we use our influence with companies to try to get them to address these physical risks but but of course our primary role is to provide clients with portfolios that are as resilient as 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 resilient as possible and as protected as possible to sustainability wins headwinds such as the risk of stranded assets and positioning our portfolios more favorably in companies that are being innovative and proactive in in addressing sustainability issues thank you some interesting points now i'll come to engagement in a, in a couple of minutes but Looking specifically at Amundi, tell me about your investment strategy and how and to what extent it takes account of such factors as climate change. I'm the lead portfolio manager on European equity uh, ESG improvers, and this is part of a flagship range that we have across assets and geographies. And it's based on a new forward looking and dynamic way of ESG investing, which was created in Dublin and it's managed from Dublin. So um, when I look at the ESG space, the best in class uh, ESG companies are where everyone is invested. And these companies can be expensive at times, but also subject to large swings in share price, as we've seen in recent days, to be honest, um, if they care, if they disappoint on already high earning high earnings expectations or if there's a shift in investors uh, sentiment away from the, away from the winner space um, but what we aim to do with the ESG improvers is to identify fundamentally attractive companies that are looking to improve their sustainability cr- credentials in a material way and then we invest in these companies at a relatively early stage in their ESG journey so um, what I mean by this is we, we engage with these companies, we encourage them to take the right steps in terms of their sustainability journey, and these depend on the risks that are most material for them. And it'll vary by sector. For example, it can be affordable housing in the real estate sector, it can be uh, emissions in the utilities and energy uh, sectors. But then when you look at the clothing sector, for example, it could be their supply chain and you know how they treat their workforce, how they sustain their raw materials, are their raw materials certified um, to be sustainable. Um, but when we identify these companies, uh, we then can, you know, when we invest in the company, we engage with the management to help them on their journey. But then we benefit from as investors from the financial re-rating these companies enjoy once their ESG improvement becomes more evident to the market as a whole. So I guess what we're looking to do is to, to identify those companies that we think will be the ESG winners of tomorrow and and there's a lot of uh, research to support um, support this uh, this way of investing in companies we look at external um, centers of excellence such as the UNPRI has identified that strong ESG momentum can really improve risk adjusted performance and we've certainly seen seen it in the performance in in recent years I think Morningstar said that um, 
think something like two, three out of four of its sustainable equity funds uh, ranked in the top half of their Morningstar categories in 2020. So I think there's a, there's a lot of tailwind for being more sustainable in terms of, as I said, regulators, investors, consumers alike are all looking in the, in the same direction. Business of Weather, spotlighting the business opportunities of extreme weather and climate change. Thank you for that. That was uh, quite interesting. Now, I'd like to turn to engagement, engaging with clients and with the, uh, the assets you invest in. Now, InfluenceMap, the environmental research group and climate lobbying platform, I think it was in its report, Asset Managers and Climate Change 2021, considered Amanda to be one of the lead engagers on climate and gave you a score A- minus for climate engagement. So, first of all, how does Amundi engage with its clients, institutional and retail, that is the people whose money you manage and invest, how do you engage with them on the issue of climate change? I, I don't know whether I mentioned earlier, but since its creation in 2020, Amundi uh, has considered responsible investing has been at the heart of Amundi and the, the core of its values. And, and part of that is engaging with the corporates we invest in, in exercising our voting rights as shareholders to express our view on management sustainability strategies. And it's a core part of our our job being a, a responsible asset manager. Um, and it doesn't surprise me to hear that Amundi has been mentioned as one of the, the largest engagers. It's, I mean, it's the largest uh, asset manager in Europe. And also our engagement activities are, extent, are extensive. We have a specialist engagement team in Paris that conducts Amundi's formal engagement activities with corporates. But all of our investment staff, including myself as a portfolio manager or research analysts, we have a regular dialogue with companies that we invest in. And we use those meetings as opportunities to question and encourage management to follow best practice when it comes to sustainability. And two of the key issues that Amundi prioritizes in its formal engagement activities are um, two of the contemporary challenges. So one being the energy transition, um, which is which is obviously, obviously pivotal, but also social cohesion through the protection of you know, direct and indirect employees and the promotion of human, human rights. So I think both of those issues are key pillars of our focus of our engagement uh, with, uh, with uh, companies that we invest in. Now, presumably, there's a, there's a formal arrangement with the, uh, the clients you, uh, whose funds you manage, is there? Do you meet with them regularly, too, to uh, find out what their views are about uh, climate change and how they want to take that situation forwards? We do meet regularly with the clients who are the ultimate investors in the companies um, that we are promoting from a sustainability perspective in our funds. Um, and we do listen to their views and take them into account because they are clearly it's it's important that we're considering what is best practice at all times from a sustainability perspective and adapting our process to what is best practice. Um, and one of the things that we're hearing from our clients, and I think that Amundi does very well, is they want us to use our scale and our expertise to influence companies for the better. So to help them on their journey to because, towards becoming the ESG winners of tomorrow. And this is something that we take very seriously in, in our role at Amundi. I mean, we have the formal engagement activities through the engagement team based in Paris, but every PM and analyst when they're meeting a company, and we have many opportunities to meet companies over the course of a year, whether it be conferences or direct meetings, both from a sustainability perspective or just in terms of our own uh, financial perspective 
perspective also, we use that opportunity to ask companies questions on the key material drivers for their sustainability journey. So what are they doing to address the key sustainability risks for their sector? And they vary by sector. And I think it's very important to have that knowledge of the, the industry to be able to ask the correct questions of companies. For example, there's no, there's no point in asking a question um, to do with renewable generation for a company that you know their main risks are more in the you know raw material space or their more risks are maybe more in the ethical space. So I think it's very important to uh, tweak our questions depending on the sector and to leverage internal expertise, also that of our clients and also external providers such as the likes of SASB, which are uh, you know uh, renowned experts in kind of assessing the materiality of ESG risks. Right now, you mentioned the formal engagement team over in Paris. Now, how tough can they be? How how much influence are they prepared to put on companies, the companies you invest in, to get them to reduce their exposure to climate risks? Will they will they go as far as disinvesting? And Mundi does leverage its scale and its influence certainly to try to direct where we invest our capital. And there are definitely there is a. It, a certain number of exclusions at the Amundi level of companies and sectors that we don't invest in. We don't invest in com- um, certain weapons companies. We also don't invest in companies that are continuing to promote coal generation, for example. Um, and in, in terms of my own individual strategies, you know, we, we do I do look to try and avoid the ESG laggards across different sectors. And that can certainly involve divesting in names that we think are not making a pro- enough progress in addressing their ESG risks. For example, since my portfolio launched last year, there was one company in particular that wasn't making, it was a luxury goods company and they weren't making swift enough progress um, to address their supply chain risks in terms of uh, certifying their raw materials. And this is a company that uh, I, I divested of my holding because I wasn't happy that uh, they were um, taking the action that they had indicated to us they would take in terms of um, being proactive in addressing sustainability issues in their sector. Um, But the risks, as I say, vary by sector across the ES and G spectrum. For example, in a pharmaceutical company, uh, it can be a company with a a declining record on product safety recalls, for example, and that could be a catalyst for us to review our position. But certainly Amundi takes its its duties um, in terms of engagement very seriously and that does and ha- and it has and it does include divesting in names or excluding names from our eligible universe that we don't think are acceptable from an ESG perspective. Interesting you mentioned a luxury goods company because we, we see a situation these days where billionaires are rapidly getting behind the, uh, the effort to uh, address climate change. Can you say who the luxury goods company is? No, absolutely not. I think you'll appreciate. I don't want to mention specific companies, um, and I think it is just. I mentioned that I mentioned the um, my decision just to highlight the process that it is a rigorous um, ESG process. It's not to say that company is not making progress on sustainability, but what we are looking for is clear, measurable, time-bound action on the key material ESG material risks facing their sector. Um, and I need to be proactive in preserving. Um, the spirit of my fund and the, the brand that is ESG Improvers as well, that we we don't invest in companies that are not walking the walk in terms of um, in terms of ESG. I mean, it's all very well setting uh, targets for 2050, but, you know, that's a long time away. And what we want to see is tangible action that management is delivering on in the, you know, the coming months and years. Business of Weather, spotlighting the business opportunities of extreme weather and climate change. 
I'd like to move on now to the uh, the data that you actually need to uh, make your decisions about uh, invest in, investment and climate change on. Let's take a look at inform the information you need to make decisions about the risks posed by climate change to your investment portfolios. First of all, what type of information do you need to assess climate risks? That's an interesting question. And the amount of information available to us is, is rising exponentially. And I think it's very important to have a, a good filter to be able to assess what is useful information. Also, when you look at company disclosures, I mean, the, the wealth of information being disclosed now by corporates um, can be can be um, mind boggling at times. And I think it's very important that we can distill what are the most important um, material pieces of ESG information. And to do that, we leverage on a mix of resources, both internal and external. So when I look externally, we use seven different data providers, including Sustainalytics, MSCI and other highly rated um, uh, companies. Um, and our, in our experience, some of these, these companies are better at measuring some areas than others. I think having a mix, having a wide range of providers means we've more a more comprehensive data set. And that we also have a significant internal teams at Amundi in terms of analysts and researchers who themselves research these companies from a sustainability perspective. And they can highlight anywhere they feel there are discrepancies to our external data. And then using all these internal and external resources, we follow a process where we rate companies on a scale of A to G within their sector. So companies are measured versus peers facing similar sustainability risks within their own sectors. So then we get a view of who are the win winners within a sector, who are the companies that we think are improving from an ESG perspective, and then who are the laggards on the material ESG risks facing their sectors. And as I said before, then we look to avoid the laggards and position ourselves as much as possible in the companies that we think are the improvers from a sustainability perspective. Right. Now, I was going to ask you where you get your information from. You mentioned two pretty uh, big providers, uh, Sustainalytics and MSCI, and you say there are seven altogether, so I can imagine who the others are. Now, tell me, are there any gaps in the data you get from these companies? Are there any, could you do with more data of perhaps a different type or a better quality? Where, are there any gaps? Um, well, I think, to be honest, I think we have a very extensive view of the current available information. I think there are always gaps when you look at individual companies. I think when you move down into the smaller um, smaller companies, for example, they won't have the same amount of disclosure that you get in the larger companies, which have tend to have be more proactive on ESG issues. And I suppose they have more resources at their disposal to to disclose um, disclose more data and to be more refined in how they look at ESG. So I think there's definitely a gap when you move down the market cap spectrum. And I think that's something that we've used to supplement ourselves in terms of our own internal resources on, on ESG. And we have a big analyst team in Paris which and Dublin, which is a, which is a great help in that regard. Um, I think there's always, it's a very much, sustainability is a very much evolving area. And you can see, you know, post COVID-19, obviously the social aspect of ESG has become more important. And I think you know people are considering more health and safety how we're how workers have been treated you know and that came to uh, came to light during the uh, during the corona coronavirus there was a number of scandals with companies not treating their workers well and i think the more resources we have and then also the more alternative data sets we're looking at that you know the, the the higher the quality of our our research will be so i think things like ai to, ai tools uh, down the road i think that's something that we're looking at to see how we can leverage more of this um, sort of data which is something that we we also do at a Monday. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's something that will be increasingly interesting in the years ahead when you can look at kind of data sets that are not necessarily on the radar of, um, of the traditional ESG rating providers and to be, um, 
very dynamic in our view on what companies are doing in real time. And I think kind of we could definitely use technology to kind of distill more uh, informed views based on the plethora of information that we have been thrown at us, whether it's press releases or sustainability reports. Um, and I think that's a really exciting area to to explore. Right. Now, data is only as good as the information that you're, you're, it's based on. Uh, and of course, it's interpretation. So how do you actually ensure at Amundi that the data you use in respect of climate change related decisions is accurate and reliable? Uh, well, I'm, as you sh I'm sure you can imagine, Ian, at Amundi, we've, we've a lot of access to a lot of these large, large corporates. So, I mean, first of all, we're, you know, relying um, to a great extent on, you know, audited, uh, you know, sustainability reports. So these are the public information that the that have been audited by the company that they're releasing. And um, we also leverage on kind of certifications and kind of the rubber stamp of approval from external bodies. So whether, you know, if in the real estate sector, we'll be looking for evidence that the company has green certifications, for example within their within their sector um, and we'd be looking at that for instance in, in in lots of other sectors such as the clothing sector where you're looking at certifications from you know sustainability groups that have the that are focused on that area so rubber we look for those rubber stamps of approval or the company's been you know um, proactive in getting these certifications to kind of rubber stamp their process um, and we have our own direct engagement with corporates so we make sure that we're asking the material questions for these companies within their sectors so making sure that you know obviously our analysts are well trained in knowing what are the material risks that are facing each company within their sector to make sure that you ask the right questions of management and I think that's that is key. Now I'd just like to move on to uh, look a little bit more detail at uh, climate change related risks. Um, now many people as we've you've already said uh, see that fossil fuels are potentially problematic uh, in a climate-related uh, way, could be uh, down to uh, stranded assets, etc. But looking at this from the perspective of a major fund manager, what other types of activities do you perceive as problematic or potentially problematic when it comes to assessing climate risks? I think it's you know very true. Obviously, stranded assets are are a big risk, but also we're looking at sustainability in a very broad way. You know, whether it's the uh, whether it's fossil fuel versus renewable energy, whether it's ESG risks such as biodiversity, which I think is a you know uh, definitely an increased threat increased threat um, to the, the, the health of the planet um, and also things like water stress and water pollution. So it's very important that, you know, we have a very holistic view on what sustainability is from an environmental perspective um, and that we're looking for to companies that are a positive contributor, positive provider of solutions rather than just meeting to, looking to mitigate emissions. And we're looking at their, uh, their emissions across scope one, two and three across their entire supply chain. So it's not just the emissions that they generate, it's, um, it's what their products are used for down the road. Do they cause further, further emissions? Um, and it's also, are they, you know, are they achieving their own sustainability plans in a, in a ESG friendly way, for example? How are they they may be expanding their renewable generation in, a, in emerging markets, but are they treating their workers well and their local communities well in the construction of these plans, for example, in emerging markets? So I think it's very holistic. It's very broad and it's evolving. And I think you need to, it's not enough to look at what the company is just doing itself you need to look at its broader impact on the in the communities in which it operates operates in 
Right, thank you. Now, um, I'd just like to turn the uh, the spotlight back a little bit on the fossil fuel industry again. Um, about a year or so ago, a U.S. court case brought by the people of the state of New York against ExxonMobil failed to prove that ExxonMobil had fraudulently misled the state of New York about the impact of its activities on climate change. Are you familiar with this case? And do you believe similar actions will be brought by institutional investors against fossil fuel or indeed other companies in the future? Yeah, I'm sure you'll appreciate that. I'm, I'm not able to talk about specific companies or litigation, but what I can say is that people are more and more demanding um, that companies walk the walk when it comes to uh, sustainability and shareholder activism is high and it's rising. And from our perspective, it's it's not just about a company saying that it's adhe- adhering to a 2050 plan, for example. Um, it's also about having clear, precise um, um, more near-term plans, uh, which will deliver tangible results we can then measure. Um, and I think uh, if not, we won't be in, we don't invest in these com- companies or we will reduce our holding or we will divest altogether. So I definitely think shareholder activism is high and also, you know, shareholder engagement groups that are, you know, approaching fund managers to uh, put forward motions at companies' AGMs, for example, to vote against if companies are not taking the actions that they expect to, expect to be taking from a sustainability perspective. And Amundi is very active in, you know, supporting such initiatives and engaging engaging itself in, in our own activities. So I think, you know, definitely when we speak to our end clients, they don't want to just know that we we avoided investing in, in companies that are not doing the right thing in terms of sustainability. They want to know what we are doing and trying to influence their um, their their sustainability journey. How are we trying to improve the selection? How, their, their sustainability, how are we trying to use our weight of money to, um, to accelerate their journey to, on a more, to a more sustainable path. And I think that's increasingly what investors and society like is looking, looking towards asset managers to provide. Right. Now, one reason uh, companies such as yourselves uh, and, inv- and pension funds, institutional investors, etc., have invested in oil companies such as the ExxonMobil's, the Chevron's, the Shell's, BP's, etc., is because of the significant dividends they pay. Um, they need these dividends, of course, to meet their liabilities, such as pension payments over the course of 30, 40 years ahead. Now, if you don't invest in such companies... Where can you invest to maintain the dividend levels that you need to meet your clients' need for income? It's an interesting dilemma that, you know, um, that... um that you know obviously asset managers and pension providers need the income to to support their future payments but i do think that you know our approach to the esg improvers is, is quite is an inclusive approach so i think that you know rather than the more traditional esg funds that maybe look to exclude whole sections of the ESG, of the of the investment universe i mean we feel that these companies that you know they may not be sustainable right now but they could be a big part of the solution towards the transition to a low carbon economy and then it's our job as asset managers to hold these companies to account and to make sure that they have detailed time-bound plans um, to move to a more sustainable path and that we hold them to account. We speak to the companies and make sure that they are walking the walk in terms of sustainability. Um, but I think um, I think it's good to just bear in mind that a lot of these big you know, energy companies, for example, um, they have a lot of know-how in terms of managing big infrastructure projects. Um, and often, often they have large capital reserves as well and they can fund change. So when these companies decide to get behind um, being more sustainable, 
and the transition to a lar large carbon economy, they can make a really big positive difference. Um, so we're not looking to exclude these companies. We are looking to identify those companies within these sectors that have a genuinely, uh, a genuinely more um, detailed plan in terms of how to, how to move to a low carbon economy, how they're going to transition their business models. And then we are holding them to account in all our meetings to make sure that they are continuing to walk that walk. Um, because as I said, 2050 is a long way away and we need to see um, we need to see progress well before that. But when you look at companies such as I'm thinking of the Danish renewable um, wind lead, offshore wind leader, um, Orsted, um, it's now considered best in class from an ESG perspective. That wasn't always the case. It was it, previous life. It was Dong Energy, um, which you know did invest in fossil fuels. Um, and it, but in its improver phase, when it was divesting of its fossil, fossil fuel businesses, its multiple um, increased exponentially from 10 to 30 when we look at its earnings value, earnings multiple valuation. So I think these companies can be really attractive valuation, attractive investments for um, for clients. But obviously, the devil is in the detail, and you need to invest in those companies within those sectors that are on a, on the right path in terms of moving towards uh, better sustainability. Business of weather, spotlighting the business opportunities of extreme weather and climate change. Right, uh, that brings me nicely to my next question. I just want to take a look at the other side of the coin, so to speak. How are investments in companies which are actively engaged in sustainable activities or activities which help to directly address the challenges of climate change performing? Are such investments proving to be good investments? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Ian. And I think the answer is yes, it's very much the case. You know, um, we believe that integrating ESG criteria and sustainability into the investment decisions certainly adds adds value uh, both in terms of being able to deliver a better risk adjusted return but also in terms of improving along important DSG parameters as I've said for companies and society but there's a lot of evidence uh, to back up that you know ESG investing um, uh, makes sense both from you know a, from a financial perspective and that integrating ESG momentum for example into your investment process does improve uh, risk adjusted returns which has been verified recently by the UNPRI um, and also from recent findings from our own quantitative research team that shows that over the last two years ESG has really become more financially material so in other words words it's a source of outperformance both in equity and in bond markets and what we're seeing is that there's a huge flow of money from investors into ESG ESG funds, and I think this um, this is also a very positive um, backdrop for the asset class. And I do think it continues when we look in look at Europe alone. We have increased fiscal support from the EU Green Deal, and um, we have financials that are increasingly aligning their lending, pension, and insurance insurance policies to factor in ESG considerations. And as I said before, consumers more than ever are looking to brands that share their ESG values, and it can really hit the share price when a, a negative ESG sto story comes out, which shows that a company is not embracing sustainability. Um, and I'm not just speaking from an environmental perspective, it's also how they treat their workers, for example. And ju just to mention as well that I do think the more accommodative US president that we have now from an ESG perspective across a whole range of issues, I think is a tailwind for Europe as well, because a lot of these companies, um, big European companies, for example, that we might invest in, also have substantial US operations. So I think there's a lot of supportive factors for ESG investing at the moment. And I think if you have the right asset manager, you can generate alpha and at the same time have a positive impact um, on, the, on the, the world's sustainability. Right, thanks. Now, many, many climate experts have uh, made the case that if there's one thing that's required to tackle climate change, it's going to be innovation. So in your role as a fund manager, 
What do you do to encourage the formation of new business startups, which many people say are the most innovative businesses around, uh, particularly startups focused on addressing the impacts of climate change? Um, I appreciate that you probably have a, a limit in the, the size of the market cap you will go down to, and you probably have to invest into boutique funds. But how do you actually encourage investment in new and innovative businesses? I do think that that is very important. I mean, just as you kind of mentioned, my role as a as a portfolio manager at Amundi is focused on the, the large and the smid cap space. You're talking about companies that are probably, you know, minimum market pa- cap type uh, three, four billion. So, um, but we do, you know, when we're, when we're speaking to, to companies and, you know, among, we're speaking to companies, we are encouraging them to, you know, certainly on technologies that will um, have a positive impact on the planet rather than just avoiding emissions. And as, as I mentioned before, you know, companies that are, are showing uh, innovation in areas, whether it's renewable diesel or green hydrogen or chemical companies that are investing in technologies to develop feed, for example, that um, produces um, results in less methane emissions for from cows, for example, or sustainable fish feed, for example, um, which, you know, is will be positive from a bi- biodiversity perspective. We're being kind of um, really kind of hunting for those companies that are really being different in terms of sustainability, in terms of looking at new areas to address kind of growing risks, not just on the obvious um, the obvious ones, which are to reduce your own direct environmental footprint. Um, and I know Amundi as a whole does a lot of work with um, in, in this regard. Um, as I said, it's not my primary area as a large cap, uh, primarily large cap uh, equity portfolio manager. But I do think it's something that Amundi as a whole really kind of stresses in our engagement with corporates that we're looking for companies that have a net, net positive impact that are not just looking to net zero, net, looking to go to net zero, but looking to go beyond and actually have a positive impact on the environment. Right. Now that brings us to my final question. Let's just take a look into the crystal ball. What do you believe are the major climate change related challenges which will face fund managers and your institutional and retail investment clients in the coming years? Um, well, I think, you know, if I, if I look forward, you know, ESG is, ESG is a trend that's definitely here to say. And as I said, there's increasing demand for ESG products. And, and with, with, that, with that comes, you know, a number of challenges for investors and asset managers. You have, you know, the ongoing planet environmental challenges and the threat of regulation that that poses to uh, to um companies that do not do the right thing from a sustainability perspective. So I think there's going to be penalties from companies that are not taking the right steps to reduce their environmental footprint from their own accord, and they'll be forced to then take those steps. And we're seeing a slew of regulation um, across all major nations, um, whether it's in the EU and also in the US now, and companies, and and this really just, you know, forces forces those companies that haven't been more proactive to really get on board on board with addressing sustainability. And as I said, really, consumers are demanding that uh, their brands resonate with their values. So really, it's going to hit the share price and the economic fortunes of those companies that are not part of the solution. But another risk to investors is to be able to genuine to gen- to, to identify the genuine ESGS managers, because uh, there is obviously a huge, uh, huge amount of greenwashing out there. A lot of uh, um, asset managers that are trying to repackage themselves as responsible investors. And I think, as I said before, Monday has been um, has put responsible investing at its core since its formation in 2020, 2010. So we view this as more of an opportunity for us to to stand out the crowd from the crowd rather than a threat. But um, in terms of investors protecting us protecting themselves, I think there is there is regulation underway in Europe to, uh, to help investors with this. We see the new 
SDFR uh, regulations in Europe that are help to help investors to compare the market across across Europe for the whole time uh, for the first time to be able to understand asset managers investment process and um, their track record and also their level of ESG perspective and Amundi scores very well in terms of the SSFDR regulations I think um, two thirds of our funds are the highest rated from a um, an SFDR perspective in terms of having a positive impact on, on the planet. Well, that concludes today's interview. Suzanne Keane, Senior Portfolio Manager at Amundi. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time, Ian. Thank you. You've been listening to Business of Weather, the only podcast dedicated to the business opportunities of extreme weather and climate change.